Hey, Andrew. What? Uh, seriously, yeah. I heard something. What was that? I don't know. What was it? I don't know, man. It's been going for a while, and I feel like I've always feel like somebody's watching me. Are you? Are you? Are you paranoid right now? Because I am. Actually, can I tell you something in general before we start getting into this movie? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, everybody, the the topic is going to be paranoia movies. I'm gonna go ahead and admit that I'm I'm a paranoid person. Are you really? Yeah, it's, uh, I, I think it started in high school. I know that my grandma is extremely high strong to the point now where she's kind of insane. She just, mm. she just sits on the couch stewing about what could happen and makes herself completely stressed out. My mom kind of does it. She, we have very active imaginations and you give us an inch, we'll take it for a mile with certain things, especially if we are stressed out. Huh. And I know that freshman year was the first time where I was really, really stressed out because the bullies decided to target me and every day I would st- like just worry and worry what's going to happen today what's going to happen today i won't sleep because of this i would get like four hours of sleep and it started frying my brain a little bit and i think so you were like peter laurie in m looking over his shoulder constantly yeah you know and i started developing ocd i would do this thing where i check my zipper because one day they mocked me mercilessly because my zipper was down so i would check my zipper check, check my, my zipper, zipper. Check Check my zipper. Zipper. I mean, literally, I knew five seconds before I had checked it, but I couldn't stop myself from doing it. It's weird how stress develops a lot of these OCDs, and I kind of think paranoia is in line with some of that OCD because it's like your brain is conditioned and it needs to go in this direction. Heck yeah. So, movie-wise, what was your first experience with uh, the theme of paranoia? Okay, there was one I was going to add to the list, but I ended up watching it. Okay, so first off, i got to give a shout-out to Frank Santopadre. He's the co-host of Gilbert Gilbert Godfrey's The Amazing Amazing Colossal Colossal Podcast. Podcast. We were talking about paranoid movies, and he suggested the conversation. I was like, yeah, I've never seen the conversation. Francis Ford Coppola, Gene Hackman, awesome. And then I watched it, and I was like... Right, oh god, right, is it right. still going? Oh god, why is it still going? Well, it's it's made in the seventies. I know it's one of those seventies things. So yeah, I appreciate the suggestion, but I have ADD and no, um, don't don't a, don't relegate it to ADD. Don't do that. Really? Because I thought it was my it's made span. in the seventies, and the seventies has a problem. Very few movies I, transcended yeah. this problem. Jaws transcended it. Spielberg in general transcended it. Lucas ended up doing so with Star Wars. Carpenter did it pretty good with uh, Assault on Precinct Thirteen, but in the seventies, the big problem. Yeah. They, the 70s are really heavy and the style of directors, they were, they were like uh, waxing and waning between being artistic and just being part of the studio system. And yeah, anyway, it's too much of film theory going on. The 70s are just not good for fun. An hour and a half seems like two and a half hours. So after watching that, I needed some sort of remedy. I needed something that could tackle the idea of paranoia and lunacy, but with a fun twist. So my first choice is something that's so hard to find. Mm -hmm. This was my, you know, the Ark of the Covenant. You know, that one rare item, this thing that I was searching for forever. Uh, For people who don't know, I mentioned a couple times before, is I used to have the most massive VHS collection, I think, in the world for like one person. I may be exaggerating. I'm sure there's somebody out there who had more. And you wonder why you don't have a girlfriend. Yeah, oh, I'd rather. Uh, pay attention to rare lost videotapes produced by Canon Pictures instead of trying to get laid. Oh, nope. Uh, <laughs> it's not about trying to get laid. It's companionship. 
You don't even need the sex stuff. You need the companionship. That, that is in your book, dude. I'm a walking boner. Ah! <laughs> and basically, to get back on topic, I had, I think, 8,000 videotapes. Took over every single square inch of my apartment. I would find places to put, like, bookshelves. There was no point. Like, in the middle of the living room, I'd have a little square of these. Okay, uh, now, fast forward. You basically had a video store in your house. I did. It was a business, but at the same time, it was a hobby. I felt like an archaeologist of crap. And I would go all over Oregon... Uh, trying to find in these weird little nooks and crannies, trying to find stuff. A couple times, I'm pretty sure I was going to be killed. And hmm. all this was in search of the rarest movies ever. I got everything I ever wanted on my ultimate list. Except... You know, you sound like something weird. Something weird. In Seattle. Kind of. So it was literally just... I was, uh, I was selling stuff online. The one movie that I was never able to find was Lunatics, A Love Story. And I have to admit that I went to some weird measures to go find it. I refuse to buy online because that takes out the fun. You know, oh, yeah, I could have bought it from Amazon. I have to search for it. I'm not going to say how I saw it, but I saw it. Really? Because, um, like, nowadays, buy it from Amazon. I know, but that's cheating. That's that's not part of the collectability. That's a search. It is. Nope. Plus. Anyway, I, <laughs> I saw this movie on cable. It was always on Cinemax or HBO. Always. Wow. For a good two, three years, maybe. Yeah, I was broke as a kid we never had hbrs we only had like oh free weekend pass Woo! so how did you find this movie not telling you feel guilty no 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 in the first place how did you come across oh we used to get premiere magazine a lot especially around 88 to 91 we had subscriptions that was then entertainment weekly came out for some reason we were more fascinated by that but premiere magazine used to be littered with video ads all over them especially in the back and you'd find weirdo stuff like Mm -hmm. headhunter and mountaintop motel massacre and watchers Two, uh, you know, and lunatics a love story, and lunatics a love story, and um, next one I think was Circuitry Man. I, I, I'm not sure if they're from the same company, IRS. Mm, uh, no, uh, lunatics was from Sam Raimi's company. Renaissance yeah, yeah, but Picture. I mean, like the distributor. I think they did it themselves. Roseburg. Really? Okay, they must have. Yeah. That's why it's so hard to find because. You know, if you uh-huh. don't have a wide distribution, it's it's hard to get that name. Out when there. when I saw Lunatics, it was in the early nineties, like like uh, ninety three, ninety four. Yeah. Uh, they were also showing Crime Wave, which is also another Sam Raimi production. I think you know what's funny is I think about that now. When I first started searching out really rare movies, I think when I started compiling my list, Crime Wave was one of the very first ones, and I found that at Circus Video and Vincennes, and I discovered I was like, wait, you guys have all sorts of weirdo tapes that we don't have in my hometown. <laughs> so that's when I started doing my searching. I think Sam Raimi just likes these weird projects, and and they're also cheap to produce, especially this one. This one's incredibly cheap. What's the story? Basically, Deborah Foreman from Valley Girl and uh, Lady, my chauffeur. What? Down on her luck. Yeah. Yep, down on her luck, new to L.A., broke, kicked out of her apartment or hotel room. Uh, Bruce Campbell, who plays a wonderful heel. Yep. Look, Nance, uh, I think we ought to chill. What? Look, I asked you to come out west with me, right? Well, here we are. This is it? Yeah. You can't go any further west. This is the end of the road. Yeah, but you said... But I said, come on, look, wake up, will you? I don't always mean everything that I say. If you knew me just a little bit, you'd know that. I can't believe this. I... I thought that maybe you and I had a future together. Yeah, well, you thought that because you're nuts. We don't have anything in common. After listening to you spout poetry for five days in the car, you're like I did in Duncan Death Valley. Everything I touch is cursed. Blah, blah, blah. There you go. You know, you keep saying that, maybe it's true. Is her uh, ex-boyfriend, he pretty much takes whatever leftover money they have. It's a tale as old as time. 
Right there. Yep. It's a Disney template. Where's the paranoia enter? It enters with Ted Raimi. Ted Raimi is stuck in his apartment, afraid of the outside world. The uh, walls are... He's agoraphobic, Yeah, basically. lined with tinfoil, and he keeps having these, like, mental breakdowns where he feels like he's being attacked. Every time he wants to do something, like a doctor or imagination uh, will come in and want to strangle him or shoot him up and put him to sleep. And, of course, there's that weird rap group. You're having a mental breakdown. No. I think I just turned that into B-52s. I'm about to break down. No. Yeah, that, that rap thing was just too... I don't know why they even tried to do that. That seemed like... I, I, I do, actually. I know why. Because every decade has to go, hey, let's let's try to appeal to what's hip. Yeah. And New Jack Swing or Beastie Boys, not Beastie Boys, a Fat Boys style yeah. rap. Do you remember uh, Waxworks 2? Uh, that's when it ends with a rap song and you're like, oh yeah, this was forced. This is meant to try to be a promotional single. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah the rap stuff seems forced by an old cigar chomping producer. It just seems so dated, forced, and racist, honestly. Yeah, that or we need some cross appeal. This movie's uh, heavily geared towards suburbanites. Let's uh, make it a little more urban. Yep. I never, I, well, I never understood the word urban because um, everybody for some reason associates the word urban right? with black people and I'm like, I I think everybody lives in the city. Every <laughs> right, that's everybody. Yeah, that's everybody. So yeah, this is a, oh, a big bad city story. He certainly does have problems. He sees a big giant spider all the time. Which are I love the stop motion. I miss stop motion. I know it looked kind of crappy and doesn't look realistic at all. <laughs> it looked but incredibly it's fun. crappy. It's fun. Yeah, I, I I had seen this plenty of times uh, on cable, and it just out of my head. Yeah, afterwards. For like, me, after so many times seeing it, there's a there's an this is like kind of an antidote to the other movies that we're going to discuss mm-hmm. because they're um they're pretty heavy. This one's a little lighter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This one's the lightest of them. I will say this. Okay, two things. I didn't, I don't, and I never did really actually like it. I put it on because it's quirky and weird. That was my thing. Quirky and weird. Still kind of is. But the, uh, this is during that last gasp of the weirdo age. You know, movies yeah. that were made for a very specific like, audience. The dark backward and yeah. Yeah, and, like, and they could be released like in indie films and then it would find a niche on home video. But then all of a sudden like in the mid-90s, everybody's like, Let's, we all gotta make kung fu movies like uh, Bloodsport and, uh, you know, booby movies with Shannon Tweed. We don't need no weirdo stuff. Oh yeah, the street to video market. Yeah. Yeah. No, nothing interesting. But the other thing is, honestly, Ted Raimi gives it his all. He does. He's never really had a knit. And he's you know. a consummate professional. Is this his only starring role? Yeah, no. He was in Skinner Man, I think. Oh, yeah. And that was a slasher gross movie, and I haven't seen it. But I, I just know that whenever I see Ted Raimi, I'm like, oh, Ted Raimi. That's my vocal inflection. That's my... <laughs> Hey, it's Ted Raimi. Like, like, cool. I want you to meet Ted Raimi. I want you to see him and go, Hey, it's Ted Raimi. <laughs> hey. I kind of I know. Ted Raimi. How you doing? All right, cool, okay. Because he's never a bad addition to whatever film he's in. And here... You've seen Hard Target, right? Yeah, he was in Hard Target. That little bit where he throws on the Cajun accent. I'm like, ah. Oh. And, and in just a one-minute scene, he killed it. Yeah. He just awesome. But yeah, <laughs> whatever he he's in, he's just like, All right, I'm game. And you know it. So... Yeah, that's the big positive. It's just Ted Raimi. That's what I give this film. You know how they had the Scream Queens like in the late 70s, early 80s? Mm-hmm. I feel like Deborah Foreman was a cult movie queen. Yeah. Like, almost everything she did was a very particular niche. Yep. I mean, even Valley Girl was never supposed to be as big as it was. It's kind of funny. She doesn't act anymore, but it, I kind of miss her face on screen because it seemed like she always had kind of oddball, quirky movies throughout the 80s. Yep. Yeah. All right. So, from that kind of paranoia to... Uh, which... which his, his paranoia is based on expectations 
expectations of other people on him. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and, and about right. overcoming those fears. It, it ends, of course, not 100% positive because he still has just a, yeah. little, a few of his hang-ups, but it challenges right. him to become a better man. And he tries. The next one is Chasing Sleep, which is all guilt-fueled. Your, uh, your wife didn't come home, is that right? Yes, yes. When was the last time you saw her? She disappeared. I haven't seen if her. you are her, I swear I'm going to kill you. I'll kill you. Mr. Saxon, these investigations can be quite demanding, especially when experiencing the trauma of loss. Do you understand what I'm saying? One second! You seem to be having problems with my conscience. Do you think that's why I can't sleep? Could be. Is there anything you can give me? A prescription for your conscience? Of course not. It wasn't me. It wasn't. Jesus. Yeah, it's weird. I it t- it takes you a while to figure out exactly what's going on. Which is the fun of this movie actually. It's quiet. There's not a whole lot of score going on. No, it almost feels like a stage play. It it does. It, you know what's funny is Lunatics could have been a stage play too. These movies are very contained. Actually, I think most of the movies we are going to be discussing are very self-contained. Which seems to be the thing about paranoia movies unless see there's so much paranoia in big action movies where there's a movie called Conspiracy Theory and that was about a paranoid conspiracy theorist and he's right and the world is coming after him because he's uncovered the secrets and whatever yeah that's the funny thing about the big studio movies is a they're more action oriented and b it almost seems like everything is justified because you can't have a crazy character lead a movie mm-hmm. usually not a big movie like that they're like oh th- th- there's 80 million dollars on the line here we can't have our hero be a nutcase and here we have jeff daniels doing probably my favorite Jeff Daniels role. It's really subtle, calm. Eventually it's super bonkers without being uh, without yeah. being Leonardo DiCaprio's yelling at the camera bonkers. Are you talking I, like Shutter Island? Sure, Paranoia? Sure. Mental? I, I wasn't I, see, I didn't even think of Shutter Island when I said Leonardo DiCaprio crazy because whenever Leonardo DiCaprio has to do it, an intense scene, all it is is him yelling. It's not yeah. really actually good acting. It's yelling. Being kind of crazy and not understanding what's going on, trying to control it but you can't control it. It's actually very internalized. You are desperately trying to figure out how to get around it in your head. You don't usually show much emotion. I know this because to connect the two conversation and this movie, have you ever suffered from insomnia? I have. I had crippling insomnia for about a year where I kind of went nuts. But no, the worst... it's, it's not a length like that. It's just like a nightly sort of thing. Any given night, oh. I may have insomnia. Well, But I think one day in particular was close to 24 hours. Uh, but that's wow, I I went three days once. Three days I went without any sleep, and then the next day I slept like nine hours. The next day I was like, oh, I'm back to normal. And then, nope, I slept like two. Hmm. There is something about the madness of trying to find sleep is it's all you think about. There is a world going on around you, but the only thing you can think about is, okay, so tonight I have to do this. There's a pattern. I have to eat at 8 o'clock. I have to stop watching TV at 9. I have to lay down at 10. And then at 10, if I count till, okay, so I have to be up at 7. That's nine hours. And you find yourself at 3 o'clock going, oh, God, okay, four hours, three hours, I mean, if I take a shower now, I'll fall asleep. And then you're like, okay, well, if I fall asleep, and then you're so panicked that you still can't sleep, and you're screaming inside, and eventually you end up screaming on the outside. Yes. This is what happened when I was working surveillance. There is a madness to it all. A, you're up all night, you're staring at monitors, you're trapped in a small space with one or two people, and they've already gone insane. They've been at it for years. And they got crazy theories about aliens, or they, they've cracked mentally, and they don't care about any social mores, so they're just like, oh, they drop all of these racial epitaphs. And you're just like, why? What is wrong? 
going with you and you find yourself slowly turning into this person you can't sleep all you do is like think about how much pain you're in and you don't feel good and your brain starts to go a little bit yeah that seems to be what this guy did yeah except he doesn't have a wall of monitors staring at him he no. just had his his guilt you know what the creepiest thing about it all is i thought it was funny at first when the guys next to me would be like kind of following women on the camera not just random women who would come in for the day people we worked with oh and i was like that's crazy and then i noticed around month eight i started to become just a little too interested in one of our staff members and i was like oh shit this is the beginning uh and then i quit like two weeks later wow because i knew something wasn't right there that's my personal story but that somehow is also a connection to the conversation and chasing sleep yay see how i did that (laughs) so yeah uh you you actually curtailed that behavior quickly this guy doesn't acknowledge his behavior is because of and this is spoiler territory because of guilt he's done something terrible and he doesn't acknowledge it at all until the very end of the film yeah at which point cleverly and and, and kind of gracefully it becomes a slasher movie except it's not for he's running through a forest right it's more the 90s style serial killers where they're sophisticated and there was a budget and studio you know solid actors back yeah then. but this, this is still a totally a cheap film and it's all shot in one room. I don't think there are a lot of other scenes outside of his house. No, I don't believe there are any. It's, it, that's why it feels like a stage play. You could literally just shoot this all on one one small stage. Now, it's very visually interesting, but it's not an every frame a piece of art type of film. So, whatever. But it's a man. He wakes up, and his wife is gone. She went to work. He stays up all day doing his thing he's off he's a college professor and he's off his job that day and his wife never comes home and he gets really concerned about that so he calls the cops the cops tell him can't do anything about it right now until it's like two days later or something or whatever so he just waits and she doesn't show up yeah talks to a friend of hers she's concerned because she hasn't heard from her best friend his wife and so on and so it just slowly builds and mounts this way and we we learned that she had been seeing another man and that may or may not have had to do with her disappearance but he jeff daniels is sitting there stewing in his it's just waiting okay not just paranoia let's not talk paranoia for a second let's talk waiting waiting is one of the worst things in the world oh, yeah. say you have a plan to do something with your friend and your friend decided to not exactly be reliable time-wise Whew. it's not even a, a there's an accident on the freeway way he's stuck in traffic he lets you know he just decides he's just a douchebag who's unreliable <laughs> he just decides i'm not gonna uh, be reliable so you're sitting there oh. and you have this plan to do something at four it is noon he's supposed to get here around 2 30 well noon to 2 30 you might be able to squeeze something in there but you're just sitting yeah you just sit sit and wait you don't you don't want to commit to a bunch of stuff right the anticipation of what's coming up next kind of keeps everything at bay yeah. you're like oh well i can't do that yeah well i'm not yeah i'm not gonna invest in watching avatar not that we would anyway yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> but i'm not gonna do that in that um, time i could watch fern gully and two episodes of the smurfs same thing <laughs> but then you're like i don't really want to but you have to kill time so what are you going to do so you start doing one thing you you realize that that you're you're putting too much time into this because you've committed you're starting to commit to it for a long run sort of so you you stop that so now you're just waiting again so then you try to occupy yourself again now you're just waiting again it's a loop of waiting and then finally he shows up at like close to four and says oh i I totally forgot about whatever and Ah. didn't bother calling you so now your brain is like like, 
that whole yell. Yeah, you just wasted yell. my afternoon. Yeah, it's it's like that. But now this guy is dealing with that and his wife and the suppression of whatever memory he's suppressing, which manifests as a giant baby in a bathtub. I don't what that was weird. I just I just threw that weird thing out there because that's as abrupt as it is in the, in the movie. Giant baby in a bathtub. Giant baby in a bathtub. Ah, which is just super bizarre. Performance-wise, I think this movie is pretty pretty solid all the way. Yeah, it has a decent uh, uh, supporting cast, too. Confusion, along with the paranoia concept, that works really, really well in this film. But it's a subtle film all the way. I, I do recommend it, but it is a, a quiet film. Yeah. I, I recommend it just a chill flick. It's It's an actor's piece. If you want to study someone working at their peak... Right there you go. Yeah, that's it. And it's got the paranoia thing down. Yeah. But like you said, it's all internalized. It's not it's not the shouting and screaming and uh, method acting. Uh, you know, like I'm showing I'm yeah. acting. He's not. He's, he's just like that's the best kind of acting when you don't see them acting. That's actually why I think this is Jeff Daniels' best piece. Next movie is Paranoia Zero One. Oh, right, right. This is the one that I didn't understand. Today you will find the package. You open it, there's nothing inside. There's nothing inside. There is something inside. And now it's inside you. Your life will change. You feel lust in your life. So you taste blood in your mouth. You are infected. You are infected. You have a virus inside you. One. So you can explain it to me. All right, all right. Well, it's Jeremy Sisto. He lives in this terrible apartment, and it's a sort of kind of dystopian future. That's how it looks anyway. But he's a computer programmer, and his boss is constantly harping on him to get this antivirus software that he's programming. He needs to finish his code. And he has a bunch of neighbors that are strange in various ways. One of his neighbors is Udo Kier. The, the weirdest yeah. guy ever. The weirdest yeah, actor he, ever. I like him, but yes, you're right. He's very strange. He has a robot that he's been working on that is supposed to simulate human expressions. And he's just tinkering with it, and he hasn't figured it out exactly. He's also got a sofa that uses nanotechnology to change what its fabric looks like. <laughs> Whatever. Okay, so there's him. Of course, he's Udo Kier, and he's the close-talking Udo Kier weirdo guy. Then there's Bruce Payne, who is a video game developer, but he develops virtual reality video games that are indistinguishable from real life, and they're smut, right? Yep. Those are his two main interactions in the apartment, other than this other lady who, I don't really know who she is, the blonde lady, uh, Deborah Carr Unger. And he constantly, other than not completing the code, he constantly goes down to the corner store to buy generic milk until the point where he's kind of getting sick and so he calls delivery guy which is also his best bud he comes over and oh also this is where a lot of the paranoia starts this movie is called paranoia zero one or zero point one i don't know what the title of this movie is it's zero i thought it was paranoia 1.0 yeah but it's also been on the package one point zero i see i don't know what the title is by the way I, it's been I, both ways he used to talk like udo care just to freak people out and i had a co-worker named garrett and i always walked over quietly and go hello gara like, ah! yeah that that could be enough to drive somebody paranoid <laughs> well he keeps on getting these packages and the packages are empty so he asks his friend i you deliver stuff right did you deliver this eventually his friend breaks and says look don't open any more packages 
packaging. The package is a distribution method. Oh, yeah. In the package, you can't see it. It's nanotechnology, and it's a virus. Why do you want to drink so much milk? You're lactose intolerant. Don't drink the milk. Here's the deal. The movie is a whole big metaphor for email spam. Yeah. Basically, he is... Me, you. He gets a package. Email. From an unsolicited person sending you email. You look at it, it has an attachment. Don't open the attachment. Well, he opens the attachment, the box. By the way, watching the movie, I couldn't figure this out. I had to read about it. And whoever cleared this up for me didn't use this metaphor of email attachment thing. This is my own thing. But that's basically what the movie <laughs> is. And it's done in a very interesting way. Dark, green, brown, black color scheme. It's not exactly a fun movie, and I thought that maybe it would be. That's why I hunted it down. And in oh, fact... Man. It's a hard movie to find. And I found a widescreen version of it with, like, German dub or something. And then I found a open mat version of it, which doesn't look as good. And it's lesser video quality. But it has the English audio. So I ripped the English audio from that and put it on the widescreen version. And that's a version that we saw. Yeah, it's weird. I actually remember seeing this in video stores. So I didn't think it was that hard to find. But that's where I so am. We're not in video st- There's no video stores anymore. <laughs> oh, right. I'm sorry. I forgot the video stores. Right, exist 2004, but I mean back when it first came out. There. So, yeah, this is also one that you would see late at night and maybe fall asleep during, and that would be fine. Because you got to go to sleep, and this movie helped you. If you didn't go to sleep and you just finished it all the way through, being awake late at night usually kind of enhances the, the strangeness of things when you're watching them. Yeah. So I think either way, you would have won. So here's the heavy. You suggested this, and I was like, oh, I don't want... Oh. <laughs> you need a shower after this movie. It makes me feel gross. I don't want to, but then... You know, we don't... We don't need to go deep into it. I, I watched the movie while I was painting my room. Yeah. I have this really huge room here. I needed to paint, so I put it on and you said it was more like a stage play, so I only got glimpses of the film, but what I saw visually looked pretty great. You're very beautiful. I like hearing you talk. If you want, you can stay here tonight. That'd be nice. They live in your blood. What is that? Hey, you see it? It's a bug. Places crawling with these things. And they feed on your brain. There's no bugs on your skin. You dig it out. I'll dig it out. We'll show you. From the Academy Award winning director of The Exorcist. Open the door. comes the movie. The Chicago Tribune calls one of the most disturbing horror movies imaginable. We have to kill them. They want you to know they're there. Bug. We'll never really be safe again. By Frankenheimer, right? Yep, no. Or Friedkin. Friedkin. By Friedkin, William Friedkin. And he still has the visual chops, so that's pretty good. And the acting is good. It's amazing what a drug can do to a person's brain. Is meth a big thing where you live? Well, was it a meth movie? Uh, You know what? I have to say I cheated a little bit. I haven't seen this movie in a couple years. But I thought it started off with drugs, like crystal meth, and then then your your brains just started going. No, I I don't remember any drugs in the film. Okay, I'm a... Other than, than, uh, like, uh, smoking or something, or... Or alcohol. Maybe it's a metaphor for meth because uh, meth is huge here. And people sit there and they'll dig at their face. They'll dig at their face. They're paranoid. They're lunatics. They, they think things are going on that aren't going on. They have scabs all over, man, because they're digging out like little pieces of the meth that crystallize in the skin. Mm. It, it reminded me of the fact that they, they think they have bugs in their body. and they, 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 they see it. They see it, but it's not there. They just they know it's there. They see it and it's gone. Yeah. Their brains are just fried. Well, let's, let's quickly get into the story. A lady... Is there 
they're all white trash. Everybody in this film is white trash. A lady... Different levels of white trash, but... A lady, and she lives in a motel room. She works at, I think, a cowboy bar for lesbians. Lynn Collins is her best bud. Uh, she was in that Wolverine movie as... Oh, right, right. Silver Sable, yeah. whatever her name is. And she was uh, the princess from Mars, John Carter. Yeah, which I appreciate greatly. Ashley Judd is the main character and Lynn brings over just to hang out this guy he's not gonna be sad not an axe murderer I do need a dog can What'd I you use say? the phone sure I'm not an axe murderer I didn't really think you were oh okay <laughs> hey. very beautiful huh I said you're very it beautiful it sounds like the end of the world thank you I'm, I'm sorry Who's played really well. Is this the first time that we had really seen him, Michael Shannon? Yes. I mean, he had done a lot of bit parts and, and other things, but yes, this is a, a really big, big standout moment for him. I, I never seen it. My wife had seen it. She thinks still that I had seen it back then, but I really hadn't seen it. I had not, I, because... Or maybe you did. No, I didn't. Oh. I would oh. remember because the movie is not forgettable. Because, especially in, in my association, with things. I associate things with types of people sometimes. And this I associate with Coast to Coast AM listeners, or rather, callers in. The people who call into Coast to Coast AM and various other night owl shows seem to be conspiracy theorists, and this movie is rife with that. So I didn't really take away the meth head thing. Yeah. I took away the insanity and the lunacy of those people who entertain preposterous notions. Not all conspiracy theories are incorrect, but the really wacky ones who are obviously wacky. Like, they don't use real statistics, reasoning. It's just like, whatever pops in their head is real. It doesn't matter where it came from. It's real. It's now. It's, it's there in my brain. I, got, I can't get rid of it. And I think that's what Bug really was examining, is that type of person. Especially when Shannon gets on his rants about the government and uh, nanotechnology and the bugs. Yeah. The bugs are emitting a signal. May the 29th, 1954, the consortium, bankers, industrialists, corporate CEOs, and politicians held a series of meetings over three days at the Bilderberg Hotel in Oosterbeck, Holland. They drew up a plan for maintaining the status quo. It's the way things are. It's the rich get richer, the poor get poorer. They devised a plan to manipulate technology, economics, the media, population control, world religion to keep things the way they are. And they have continued to meet once a year, every year since the original meeting. Look it up. Under their orders, the CIA had smuggled Nazi scientists into the States to work with the American military at Kalsman, developing an interepidermal tracking microchip. What? It's a surveillance tool. It's a computer chip that has been implanted in the skin of every human being born on the planet oh since God. 1982. The test group for the prototype was the People's Temple. And when the Reverend Jim Jones threatened to expose them, he and every member of his church were Fascinating. But it's not enough just to track people, to spy on them. They want control. So they create the intelligence, manned, interface, biochip, a subcutaneous transponder, a computer chip imprinted with living brain cells. They needed lab rats to test it, and they found us. Me in the Gulf and another soldier working at Calspan at the time, Tim McVeigh. Uh, it's also got the uh, contact lunacy, group paranoia. This happens a lot where you have somebody who's actually charismatic or, or is more powerful in their personality and they, they push a notion an idea <clears throat> Trump. this notion or Trump. idea doesn't have basis but they repeat it so much around the lesser person and I don't mean the person is less of a person or lame I mean that they're not as sure of themselves and who they right. are or just not no access to information I think about the people who are completely cut off from the internet or cut off from any sort of you know proper live
library with strong history and newspaper access, stuff like that. People are living like in the backwoods, and all they know is what is hearsay, basically. It doesn't need to be backed up by evidence. They just like, well, I heard this, you know, from this guy, and uh, it's true. And or they have this little window, this little tiny window of information. Let's say coast to coast AM. I like listening to the show periodically, but man, is it crazy sometimes. Super crazy. One call is a guy saying that he's a time traveler. Oh! And, and he's giving details that are not necessarily accurate or inaccurate, but he is so confident, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Another episode is about a hole in the ground in Oregon. Actually, in Washington. And the stories about it and weird creatures coming up out okay. of the ground. So, and since I'm an Oregonian, Mel's... I have to know. You have to send me a link It's called one. Mel's Hole. Mel's Hole is in Washington. And if you, at one point, I don't know now, but if you did Google Maps over the area where Mel's Hole is said to be, there's a big block, blocked out block of no information. Like, the government doesn't want a you to A bottomless do. pit there's near a Ellensburg, hell, Washington. A hell hole. Did you just look it up? Yep. Anyway, I don't, I don't want to go through the Mel's Hole, rabbit hole, but these people, just a digression, they, these people only have this little tiny window of information and they get it from drive time radio or something. Because they don't they don't have any other technology. They have a radio. Radios are old. So, yeah. Bug is about a guy who is incredibly influential on a lady who is incredibly fragile. And how he destroys both of them. Yeah. It's, 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 it's heartbreaking. His, yeah, through his paranoia. Yeah, it's heartbreaking it watching these people fall apart. It's like perfect performance piece. Yeah. Though. It's weird that after this, Ashley Judd really didn't get much work. It was like the, the nadir of her career. I was like, oh, uh, guess it's TV uh, movies. She, and- she, she's a philanthropist. She gets work, but she does other oh, better okay. things well, that's good. just movies. I was concerned. She shows up here and there, and she's going to be in the new Twin Peaks, possibly. Okay. Uh, which is good. So, but if she was a male actor, I guarantee she would have got a couple studio flicks out of this. And, you know, it's just the way we treat women in film. Oh, she's over 40. Hey, hey that's speculation. That's speculation, though, because maybe she didn't want to. Oh, maybe. Maybe they offered her just crappy movies. Yeah, you know, maybe. Like, or, or maybe they just offered her the perfect thing, and she's like, nah, I did this really intense thing. I don't. I need to take a break. That's true. I went into a different ra- uh, realm there. I'm sorry, people. You're so paranoid. I am! <laughs> I, I, I. <laughs> Um, I asked a question earlier. I, I like Bug and I recommend it, but I don't recommend it for the faint of heart because it gets really bloody and horrible and terrible. And two things. I mentioned earlier Leonardo DiCaprio doing his I'm a great actor intensity just by yelling into the camera. Uh-huh. But Michael Shannon does some of that in this, except it's sincere. Well, it, Michael Shannon is a better actor. Yeah, it also seems like everything here, the reason it's so horrifying is because it's completely grounded in something real. Well, Shannon does it subtly. He's quiet. He's quiet through a lot of the film, and he just gets progressively and progressively more explosive. I don't see that with Leo. No. I just feel like picking on Leo. So, uh, Bug is grounded in a reality gone horribly awry. To take the paranoia theme into the fantastical is when we come to our final film, The Thing. Which isn't necessarily... We're going to... This is just a branch of the next episode, but what I asked at the very beginning, and you mentioned the conversation, was one of your earliest experiences with the theme of paranoia. And this is one of mine. I think I had seen Puppet Masters before this, but... Right, I, because really, I think I had seen. I, I was really close. Like, if I had seen Puppet Masters first, and then someone's like, "You got to see like, you know, Invasion of the Body Snatchers and the Thing, and you know, the Blob and stuff like that." And I was like, "All right, I'll get into these older movies that I missed." I wow. Mean, well, I mean, I'm a little bit younger than you, so yeah. Uh, well, not did. not much. Four I, years. I wasn't so. allowed to watch horror movies until I got into high school. That also hindered things. I had a lot of catching up to do. I have bits and pieces memories of other things that are paranoia laced, like like Invasion of the Body Snatchers. It's a good 
paranoia film. The 78 one has a human's head on a dog's body. Woo! It's the only thing I remember from it as a child. And I that could have just been from the commercial. I don't know. Uh, so I remember that image. And I remember going, bleh. So, um, but these are things my parents didn't know I had seen. I happened upon them somehow. Sparked my interest in the strange and fascinating. So, The Thing, I was a teenager. It was on TV. I hadn't seen it, ever. I hadn't even heard of it. And I saw a preview for it. Coming up next on the Saturday Afternoon Movie, John Carpenter's The Thing. Right? Yeah. And, back back uh, when was this on USA? Back when USA used to air fun horror movies and they had Up All well, Night. Well, it was, it was on... I think it came on around 8, actually, Saturday evening. It was in the summer. I was 14, and the sun had just started setting, so it was probably er, late August, maybe, Southern California. My parents were in and out of the house. They just were like, uh, we're going to go blah, 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 do something. And I was like, wait, can you... Uh, and then my brother also left, and it was just me alone oh, with... The thing, and this is at a time where I wasn't exposed, like you said, you hadn't been aware of various types of films, and this is brand new to me. And the score at the very beginning, dun dun, yes, that freaked me out. That gave me the tension and, and the the heightened senses to expect whatever the heck I was going to get. This is an ultimate nerd moment here, but I'm going to tell you this. We saw the first cut of Hills Have Eyes, you know, the remake. Uh, They weren't done with it. You're just using the temp music, and they used the music from the thing. Oh, that's funny. I like that Hills Have Eyes, too. Yeah, it was the first one. Why is it every time they make a sequel to Hills Have Eyes, it's complete crap? (laughs) Right. I don't know. And that's the one they end up showing most of the time is Hills Have Eyes, too. Yeah, but I'll say this. I want to say this right now. I'm going to make a bold statement right here. The Thing is the greatest horror movie ever made. I don't know about the greatest, but it's among the greatest, and it's a very short list. And it is intense, and it's, it is great. It's, I, and it I'm going to ask you this. I'm going to ask you this. Is the thing, because it's a bloodborne, the way that they figure out who is whom in the thing is by testing their blood. Now, this yeah. is made in the early 80s. I don't think right? it's an AIDS metaphor. I think it was too is early. It? For is it, it to, not? No, I don't think so. I don't think AIDS was even a thing until... <laughs> a thing. That's funny. Um, it was in the late 70s when AIDS started hitting. Really? And I thought it wasn't until 82 when it started to No, make no, like no. Actual... It was quieted. It was really okay. quieted, and it was just... They didn't know what it was. Oh, man. It was man, just I don't know. a Who bunch of again? gay men Lancaster? getting hurt. Was it Bill Lancaster that wrote this? Oh, I don't know. I can't remember, but it doesn't seem like the kind of thing... I mean, I guess it could also be a metaphor for herpes. Um, I mean, that would... <laughs> nah. The only, the only time herpes ever came into, you've got an STD called herpes, was sometime in the 70s. Before then, it was just a bumpy thing that everybody had. Well, I mean, I guess I'm saying more of a metaphor for every STD. I don't know if they were keen enough to clue in that AIDS was going to be a real problem. Now, if you fast forward to the fly, the fly seems more of a metaphor of uh, HIV. But hmm. uh, um, but with the thing, it, it, it's possible that it was an AIDS metaphor. It could be so many different things. Uh, but you're right. The bloodborne thing is it's hard to say, oh, no, it's not. It's, it has nothing to do with that. Especially when it's all men. It's an all-male cast. So... Yep. That's I don't know. It, it, there's well, so I see different. no I see no information about the AIDS thing. Yeah, there's so many different levels going on in this movie that make it great. And I'm not just talking what you see right in front of you. Of course, it's a great cast, tons of character actors. Whatever happened to T. K. Carter? I feel like he was in like a lot of really good movies in the early '80s, and then kind of uh, there he's on that Saved by the Bell, the early you know the early show before it became Saved by the Bell. <laughs> 
Uh, good, no. Good morning, Miss Bliss. I think is what it was called, and then nothing. I have not seen him since that show, and I thought he was fantastic. I, I hey, was, he was in that Domino movie. Domino. Domino oh. Harvey. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. You know, Wilford Brimley without a mustache is creeper than anything that monster could have turned into. <laughs> it's weird. No one gets out of here alive. Uh, uh, make sure you check your so, diabetes. Yeah. So that movie, that is the that is the movie that introduced uh, the grand theme of paranoia yeah. and ultimately nihilism. Is this the first thing you had seen Keith David in? Not David Keith, Keith David. <laughs> I hate that too. I, I hate dreamed yes, it, yes, it for is. years of making a movie with David Keith and Keith David as two brothers who are adopted. Their mother gets killed, and then they go out for revenge. And then a movie called Four Brothers came out with pretty much the same thing, just twice the brothers. And I was like, ah, well, screw it. I was going to call it White Brother, Black Brother. Make it like a 70s exploitation film. Yeah, you had mentioned that, but not as clearly, but you had mentioned that a long time ago before on a podcast. Yeah. Um, can can yeah, we always talk about Keith, so David, David, Keith? Can we have an episode devoted <laughs> to both? <laughs> they have two first names, man. So does Kurt Russell. Kurt and Russell. Huh. Yeah. But there's no Russell Kurt, so it doesn't work. No, nah. Who else is it? Uh, it's just one of those. It's all these like great character actors. Wilford Brimley, uh, Donald Moffat, Joel Paulus, Thomas G. Waits, Richard Dysart. Oh yeah, Richard Dysart. Richard Mazur. Richard Mazur. We used to see him all the time Dick too. Mazur. Richard Mazur. He was like the yeah. best dad in all these movies. Uh, License Drive. He, he's, uh, he's like the head of the what Actors Guild. Yeah, or yeah, was that's the deal. Uh, no, uh, currently sits as a corporate board of the Motion Picture and Television Fund. Ah. so he's he's like a boss. Like a boss. So he. He got out of the the limelight. Well, he's in The Good Wife. So. Uh, where was I at? I was sometimes talking about movies. Sometimes I get so scatterbrained, it's ridiculous. Uh, the of course, Rob Bottin's special effects are just insane. The bleakness, everything is set up so much by John Carpenter. Speaking of John Carpenter, there is a period of time where everything looked a certain way. You know, Walter Hill mm-hmm. shot this way. You know, Spielberg shot this way. You know, you have some lens flares. You have 2.35, 70 millimeters. Sometimes what they would use. Of course, they made a brief comeback with uh, Tarantino's new movie. But there's a very particular look from the late 70s to about 87, 88 before everything started looking like a Tony Scott movie okay. that I really, really enjoy. And I miss that. And I don't know why it is that. And it seems like most of those directors also can't get a job now. Like if they. I think Carpenter did his own version of it. I think he hit a stride of figuring out. Uh, and I think it started actually with, with the thing. I don't think it started with. Um, Escape from New no, York. No, no, that one's a little more poppy. That one's a little, uh, you know, faster editing, different style. That it's, still follows. It still ha- follows a, a '70s kind of look. Well, like how yeah. Well, Carpenter has works. his trilogy of like trapped movies: uh, Assault, The Thing, and Prince of Darkness. That would be a great triple feature, honestly. If you sat down and watched all of them, of course, you might want to end with The Thing yeah. and not Prince of Darkness because that's the weakest of the trilogy. Uh, I like Prince of it's Darkness. It's good. A lot. There's a creepy it, moment. It is the, it's one of my one of my least seen of his films but i really do enjoy you know the part where uh it's just like a video snippet where it's all hazy and you see like down a little corridor there's something looking back at you that freaks the shit out of me every single time (laughs) i think the thing like i said it's so nihilistic i don't know where you can go from there except to the very beginning uh, and do a prequel, which I think the prequel's fine. It, yeah, it's not horrible. Uh, Though I've been told that there's another version of it where it was all practical effects. Studio head saw it, said kids hate practical no, effects. No, it was cut. Is that a myth? Oh, the, the, it's a myth that it exists as a cut. It is. Uh, they probably have a work print without the uh, the augmented CG stuff. What was really supposed to happen is they were supposed to marry CG and practical together in those scenes. 
and on set there are certain things on set that happened where the producers were like I'm looking around this thing this practical effect and I can see the performer right there I can see the performer right there and it was difficult to argue with them because they're the producer the guy with the money so they're like just get rid of this and do it in CG yeah okay that was the problem that they kept on coming up against it's those stupid producers did you ever read the comic by Dark Horse no Nope. Somehow, still nowhere nearly as gruesome. You think with comic books, like the mind is the, uh, you know, it can come up with any sort of thing that's, you don't have to worry about special effects. Anything is possible when you draw it. And yet, somehow, nowhere nearly as horrifying as that original movie. Right. Well, the original movie. Uh, this, the sequel tries to, like I said, it's, it's slightly more marred by adding more CG than necessary. There but is a sequence where Eric Christian Olsen's character gets that, taken over that I almost cried because just watching the horror on his face and the way they did it. He's so good. Isn't he a good actor? He is, and he doesn't get any credit. Now he's trapped on that stupid NCIS show. Well, it's a job. Job's a job, right? Yeah, what do we do for a living? I mean, seriously, what am I complaining about? <laughs> I draw funny pictures. I don't know what you do. I ask you if you need help finding something when I know you do, but I'm supposed to tell you and then just give you an odd look when you go, duh, I just got here. <laughs> okay, Sorry. so this leads us to the next podcast, which we won't always do, like, linking podcasts, um, but this one does. The next episode is going to be alien invasions of various size and proportion, probably about four films. We're going to try to comb through the best that we can find to fit the theme. God, there's a lot of them. We might have to come Too back many. to this one. We might have to be very specific. This is about alien invasion movies set in Africa. This is about alien invasion <laughs> movies that, you know... This it, is about accidental alien invasions then, where, like, a meteor hits Yeah, Earth. then there's comedy ones, and there's uh, th- uh, thriller ones, and there's action-oriented ones. I mean, we can go on and on and on. Yep. Uh, so, I think that, I think we're done. We are done. I'm dumb, too. Okay, Kurt. Everybody, thank you for supporting the show. We are now entering uh, year two. Actually, we're a yeah. little bit beyond year two. We're at a year and a half point, almost. But we, technically, we just entered season two. We took a big, long gap, filled it with, like, little yeah. spinoffs and stuff. Sprinkled it with spinoffs. And, yep. uh, Check us out at Facebook under Video Night Podcast. Video Night Podcast. Hey, uh, I'll take Podcast. the moment for a second. I'm doing another show. It's a spinoff show, and it's called What, what Did I, I Just Watch? Talk? I debuted the segment here on Video Night, but I'm spinning it off into its own page site thing, whatever, and it's its own little tiny mini-sode podcast where it's just me and whomever. Michael's going to join me at one point some point yes um talk about some bad dookie bonkers film we haven't figured it out yet but uh, the premise of the show is i just subject a friend of mine to a silly crazy weird dark whatever but it has to be weird movie and then we talk about our impressions of it i could tell you about all my so, spinoffs but this show would be an hour longer because i apparently am addicted to podcasting i have like six shows going right now it's kind of <laughs> What did I just watch? It's live now. We've only got one episode up. What? One? I thought you had like six episodes in the can. Yeah, I know, but I'm just trickling them out like the regular episodes, even though they're all repeats until I get to the fresh material. So Uh, I'm just doing. Yep. Uh, Anyway, thank you, everybody. Good night. Good night. Why is it still going?